in the laundromat. And good afternoon on this Labor Day Monday. This is the local coronavirus update. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. Hey, Drew. Hello, Alicia. You're on your way to work. I am indeed. How's it going? Well, I'll let you know. Well, I mean, like recently. In general? Yeah. It's getting better. Time. It's getting better. You really? Know, Ten days ago, it felt like we couldn't run a COVID test and have it come back negative. Um, and now the pendulum has swung. I haven't been there for a couple of days. But um, in general, over the course of the last week, uh, we're getting about a 25% positivity rate on potentially symptomatic patients um, or asymptomatic patients that we're testing um, that are coming back COVID. So that's decreased significantly from two or three weeks ago. So it was a lot more before. Yes. Because 25% still sounds like a lot to just yeah, mere non-doctors. You know, we test everybody who's admitted, um, but we don't test all comers. Um, and so anybody who's coming in with symptoms that might be COVID will at least offer the test or discuss it with a patient. Um, sometimes people say, oh, no, we just had a test yesterday at the fairgrounds. And then we don't repeat it necessarily. But You could still get it, right? You could still, anyway... It's oh, not. Yeah. It's not a waste. No, no, it's not. But you know, not everybody wants, you know, another swab. That's true. It's yeah. not actually that yeah. fun. It's not bad. It's not bad. Um. All right. Well, we kind of leaped right into it. But so this is the Labor Day edition of the local special <laughs> Labor Day edition because we never take a day off. I guess we took all of July off. We did. Yeah. Um. That was a little premature, I think. <laughs> uh, but we are I back. I like think it was optimistic. Yeah, yeah, we had a party. I thought yeah. that was pretty funny. Yeah. I mean, I was. On, we talked about the um, Abbott Labs laying off all of their people at the test, the factories that make the tests. The Binax kits. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and and we were kind of laughing at them, but then I thought, well, we also quit. Yes, <laughs> so, exactly. You know, we all thought this was winding down, and that we were gonna get to go back to something like normal and we were wrong in fact it seems like it now the delta variant ramped up and it's kind of as bad as it's been yeah it's it's getting better um and so before we get too far into to chat um you know the numbers are showing improvement so the rolling two-week average for mendocino county shows about a 33 percent decline um which is good certainly uh, we're still you know, in this unprecedentedly high number of hospitalizations in the county, and we've been there for, you know, the last three to four weeks. Um, but in general, things are slightly improving as this delta sort of runs out of fuel in the county. And that's that's sort of a statewide trend. Um, we're doing a bit better than the state, actually, because we did worse earlier on in August than the rest of the state. So some of these counties that had sort of been avoiding the delta surge are now hitting it. Um, but in general, things in California are more or less flat over the course of the last two weeks, which is a lot better than, you know, a steep rate of climb. Right. Well, the, um, the I guess the news, the, the developing story in the county is the public health officer's intention to create a, a, a vaccination mandate order and the way that small businesses reacted to that over the weekend. Some, I'm sure, embraced it and others not so much. There was a, a protest. Yes, I, I, I read about it. I was not there. Right. It was in Ukiah. It was at the health club there on South state street mm -hmm. um and i guess there were a lot of people there well there is a lot of resistance you know there's even some resistance amongst medical providers mm -hmm. you know regarding the vaccination mandate that's going into effect october 1st um you know the 
the statewide requirement is that healthcare providers be vaccinated, starting October fully vaccinated. So you're starting to run out of time, even for the 21 day. Um, I'm sorry for the 21 day Pfizer vaccine. Um, if you want to be fully vaccinated by October 1st, I think it's pushing a lot more um, vaccination. But there's still you know some holdouts that are quite um, opposed to that requirement. Yeah, well, the thing that happened this, I think it was Saturday, was this protest. Um, and Dr. Corin, our public health officer, went and spoke to the collected group of, of small businesses. And I thought there were kind of two things about that. One, I'm, I'm kind of uncomfortable about the whole politicization of, of this of public health policy that we've been seeing the whole time. So I would, you know, I would be much more comfortable if public health was reaching out to small businesses to talk to them about what they need, kind of not at a protest where people are holding signs and, um, you know, making it really sort of blended in with anti-vax slogans and things like that. I think that would just be much better to have those conversations out of that venue. Um, Although they were really happy that he was there. Well, it showed certainly courage to show up and, um, you know, and patience, I should imagine, um, as much as anything else. I'm not sure if it moved the needle with any of the people that were showing up there, because I think anybody that has the energy to show up to oppose a vaccine requirement um, has really drunk the Kool-Aid and is probably not in the persuadable uh, category. So I, frankly, I would have rather of seeing public health devoting resources to getting um, more resources into the Netherlands of this county mm-hmm. or communities that are really under vaccinated even yet in this county um, rather than reaching out to you know right-wing Kool-Aid drinking business owners in Ukiah. Um, that's that's just not going to persuade very many people, I, I suspect. The other issue that came up uh, in the reporting on this protest was that um, the small business owners, I think this is very serious, have said that um, one of the reasons they're opposed to a mandate is because even with a masking mandate, their employees are in the position of having to enforce it, and they've experienced harassment such as being spit on by people and that kind of like hate Um, And to me, it seems like we should be documenting this. We should that this is a crisis that we really need to deal with, along with all of these other issues. But I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, there certainly is resistance, and there's a lot of hatred, and you know, there's there's, it's akin to road rage. It's you know, mass rage at this point. And you know, early on, you know, a year ago, we were talking a lot about how to approach people um, who weren't masked. And my general recommendation and my approach is just to steer clear of them um really because the one-on-one educational opportunity with strangers is fraught to be real um i think well rather i know um that a vaccine requirement um for entry into any business um is going to unload that burden of enforcement um for the people who are you know compelled to work in these small businesses at you know front-facing positions that pay minimum wage on average so that's going to take a lot of that away if you need to you know flash your vaccine card before you go and lift weights next to somebody else you know, and you can talk about your first, second, third, fourth, whatever amendment you think you might understand, but what you don't have the right to do is make the rest of us sick in this county um, or in the state or to force somebody who's having a stroke to sit in our ER waiting for transfer to a hospital bed that doesn't exist. That right is not in the Constitution. So it's very clear that businesses and the state and the county, and yes, the federal government can require vaccination. They should have done that six months ago, um, but you know, are we going to get there now i don't know 
Yeah, I just uh, that the ramping up of the polarization and the politicized rhetoric is just it's already it's already turned to eleven, as they say. Yeah, ramped yeah. right up and yeah. off the scale. Yeah. So anyway, that's kind of. That's the news from uh, the, the Ukiah Valley, but <laughs> it got well, it's hot and windy, it so is. you know. Yeah. yeah, it's bad. Um, anything else? Well, I should run the numbers, um, and then I can talk about a couple um, journal articles that came out in the last week or so. Um, so we're still adding, despite my attestation that things are slightly improving. Um, we added 225 cases in the county um, mm. over the course of the last week. That's a lot. Again, we're running on a delayed sort of um, county case count. Uh, so these are last Friday's statistics. Uh, so we're up to 6,192 documented COVID cases in the county, um, which is about uh, about 40 a day. Uh, is where we're running right now. 27 people still hospitalized um, and some 450 in isolation. No new deaths, but with um, 12 in the ICU, that is certainly a significant risk still. Um, California, as I mentioned, is more or less flat in terms of its um, COVID case count. Uh, we're adding about 13,000 cases a day. And as many listeners probably can appreciate, deaths being a lagging indicator are up about 60%. So we're having about 100 people in California die from COVID a day. And the national mortality right now is about 1,500 a day from COVID. So we're pushing up against 650,000 dead from COVID in the last year and a half in this country alone. Um, the the sl- small silver lining is we've almost doubled the vaccination rate um, over the course of the last um, two to three weeks. So we've jumped from about 500,000 new doses of vaccine um, a day in the country to just about a million a day. Um, and that's, you know, it, that is not low-hanging fruit anymore. This is These are not people that were in the front line to get vaccinated. So I think a lot of people are getting religion, so to speak, as they see Delta and they see family and friends get really sick from it. Um, hospitals filling up even in you know, even in the South and deciding finally that maybe this is not fake news. Yeah, I mean, folks that I've talked to recently who haven't gotten vaccinated don't actually have any ideology about it. They just kind of haven't done it. Yeah, there's definitely a, a substantial percentage of people who feel like it just doesn't affect them and they don't right. worry about it, um, which is... You know, remarkable to me as a healthcare provider, and it's probably remarkable to anybody who's tuning in at three o'clock on a lovely afternoon on a weekend <laughs> to listen to the COVID reports. But there are a lot of people who are just like, I really haven't thought about it. I haven't bothered because I don't think it's going to affect me. Mm-hmm. And it's not ideologically driven. It's not sort of, you know, some quirky website driven um, thinking. It's just, I haven't bothered the same way a healthy 25 year old doesn't bother having a primary care provider. You just don't worry about that sort of thing when you're that young because you're immortal and it's not going to bother you even insurance when yes. i was that age was kind of a an yeah, out exactly. there concept. Like, I'll, I'll worry but, about that when i get sick but you were part of a group of doctors a couple of weeks ago who a, a big group of doctors who signed a letter asking the community for help how did that go you guys i saw that you got coverage in it got a lot of coverage um i don't know if it drove that much more vaccination uptake in this county um maybe it it helped a little um it certainly i think helped telegraph um the costs that COVID is taking um in this county right now um and how those costs are affecting all of us rather than just the unvaccinated hopefully some people got that message and decided to talk to some other family and friends and get vaccinated but it's pretty hard to quantify yeah that and a very terrifying rate of death last week almost one yeah day. there was there was a lot of death last week yeah yeah so 
Uh, in other news, um, there was a huge study. It might have come out actually the day I did my show last week in the New England Journal of Medicine. Um, huge study of uh, people who had received the Pfizer mRNA vaccine. Um, I think it can fairly be extrapolated to the Moderna as well. Um, about 1.8 million people analyzed to af- assess for effects of the vaccine. Um, and it was a it was a very well designed study, um, and it really showed um, almost no significant harmful effects from the vaccine. Um, a couple of things that were picked up were some significant, um, but still quite small number of people would get swollen lymph nodes, which we know. It's why mammograms aren't advised, you know, for a month or so after getting the vaccine. Um, And then what I had actually personally seen once or twice in this county is a small percentage um, of people would get myocarditis or inflammation of the heart, and that was confirmed. Um, Their best estimate was 5 in 100,000. I suspected it's a little bit higher the incidence of myocarditis induced by COVID, however, is about four times higher. So even though this does have that very small risk, um, it's still much lower than the risk of getting COVID and developing myocarditis. And it's, though it sounds scary, it's usually um, pretty self-limiting and benign. Um, so that's that was an interesting study. It really helped sort of address some of these anxieties that some people might still be harboring as to whether the 45,000 patient initial um, trial was adequate and now we're talking a study of 1.8 million people so that's that's a lot of people all they found was a, a low incidence of myocarditis and some lymph yeah and lymph nodes swell I mean, nothing else was really that much higher slightly increased risk of Guillain-Barre but very slight it's a very rare condition so if you multiply a very rare condition you still end up with a very rare condition um, and that's really not unique to this vaccine that's you, you know that's seen with pretty much every vaccine across the board um but the rest was really just not there yeah huh well that's encouraging yeah it does seem like an extraordinarily safe vaccine in the kind of pantheon of vaccines that we have well you know all the you know no no surprise but every vaccine that is sort of on the vaccine schedule for children or adults has been really tested um and hundreds of millions of doses have been administered of every one of them um and they've really all without exception been shown to be quite safe indeed you know certainly the current crop that we're using right now you know, if we want to go back to do a cowpox live serum, then that, you know, that does have some increased risk. But that's okay. We've moved beyond that. Yeah, yes. let's let's yeah. move on. Yeah. Um, and then there was also an article in the in JAMA um, talking about the antibody uh, rate um, as tracked by uh, Red, the Red Cross Blood Bank um, tracking. And it shows, no surprise, that about 80% of Americans have some degree of antibodies to um, COVID. That's not particularly surprising given that we are at about a 60-65% uh, vaccine rate, at least one dose amongst those who are age 12 and up. Um, and we have about 40 million confirmed cases of COVID in the U.S. So that scans, actually. Um, you know, I'm not sure where this 20% are living currently who have not been exposed to COVID in some way or form. But we're getting there. You know, This delta is going to continue to drop over the next week 
week or two, our numbers are going to drop uh, just because there's enough um, vaccine uptake and there's unfortunately now enough people who have gotten Delta um, that they're not going to be that many uh, naive people who are going to encounter Delta and get really sick from it. So that's real then 80% of Americans have COVID-19 antibodies. Sure, if you if you think about it, you know, we have what 330 million Americans um, plus or minus change, uh, 40 million documented cases and most people think you can double that safely. So 80 million people of 330 have had COVID already, which means they have some form of antibody resistance, certainly detectable antibodies in blood banking. Um, and then we have you know, at least 60% of the um, juvenile or the adolescent and adult population that has at least one dose of the vaccine. Um, so 60% of 330, so that's 180 million um, plus change, 190 million. So now you're talking, you know, a substantial, and there's overlap, obviously, between people who have been vaccinated and the people who have had COVID, to be sure. But that, that washes out to about 80%. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I heard that We've reached the milestone of 80% of California's eligible population has had at least one shot. Did you hear that? It's Yeah, it's, it's, that, that has all been achieved in the last week or two. So uh, how do we have such high vaccination rates and still have such full ICUs? Well, because the, you know, the, the first dose doesn't give you immunity right away. You know, it generally takes about a week after your second dose on the two-dose regimen. Uh, we know that the J&J is not quite as protective, so those people are getting sick at slightly higher incidence with the Delta variant. And then some people who are fully vaccinated still get sick with Delta. I mean, that, that we know. It's, it's typically a much less severe illness but there are you know a fairly a fair number of people hospitalized statewide who are fully vaccinated who are sick um, moderately or even significantly sick uh, with the delta variant um, there have been probably at this point over a hundred probably a couple hundred deaths in the state of california with delta in fully vaccinated people these are people with a lot of risk factors, to be sure, but they still got Delta and they mm-hmm. still died from COVID. Right. We've had three in Mendocino County in the last six weeks. Um, and same, elderly with comorbidities. Uh, but we also saw deaths in the county last week of people who were young and with no comorbidities, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm not I can't attest to every one, um, but there were certainly people much younger than myself um, without, you know, a lot of risk factors for doing poorly Mm -hmm. who were quite sick indeed. And, you know, a couple unfortunately died. Um, I I can't say that they didn't have any risk factors, Um, but there are, you know, there are going to be outlying cases, obviously. Right. Okay. Well, what what else you got? I think that's it. Okay. We're going to go ahead and open up the phone lines then. We are here until four o'clock. We're here for you uh, to answer your answer your questions and um, give you a, a chance to ask anything that you're curious about or following with, with COVID-19 and the Delta variant. And the number here in the studio is 707-895-2448. That's 895 895- Two four four eight, and if you haven't called before, that's fine. Um, give it a shot if you have a question uh, or even a, a comment, perhaps criticism. Since it's the holiday, <laughs> ER doctors don't have holidays, or I guess community radio yeah. Yeah. people. Yeah. All right, we'll take our first call. Hey, caller, you're live on the air. Hi, I am um, sorry that Dr. Drew is back. <laughs> under the circumstances, but it's really great to get some doc talk in. 
but I had a question about the flu vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, I am fully vaccinated. My eight-month mark uh, from my second vaccination is in October, which is kind of flu vaccination month. I am leaning toward getting my flu vaccination first in October and then waiting for however long I'm, I'm supposed to wait, which is why I called, for my, for my booster shot. What, what are your thoughts about this? Yeah, it depends whether you are immune suppressed. I mean, the official guidelines right now um, don't authorize third dose vaccines for anyone unless you have some some degree of immune suppression, um, oh. and that and that is left to you know each individual provider to decide. Okay. Well, I don't. I'm I'm as far as I know, I'm I'm fine. I got my two vaccinations, so I should just proceed with getting a flu shot in October and and then wait and see what. The yeah, I, I think by October, actually, the third dose will probably be um, FDA um, recommended or authorized for people over a certain age, for example. Um, they might just throw open the, the th- floodgates all at once. I don't know. Um, okay. But there's also a case to be made that after the age of, you know, say, 70 or 75, your immune system becomes a bit more frail. Um, and thus, you know, anybody over the age of 70 could be interpreted as being immune suppressed and be eligible under the current regimen. Um, okay, so assuming that I am that person, because I am, uh-huh. <laughs> um, should I, what is the time frame between the flu vaccination and the booster? Yeah, so it, it used to be, you know, a much greater spacing. I think some clinics were wanting three weeks, some were asking for two Two weeks or 10 days. Um, that has more or less fallen aside as we have a much greater sense of the safety of these vaccines. So most providers now will co-administer the COVID vaccine with other vaccine boosters, whether it's the flu or tetanus or the oh, okay. shingles vaccine. I'm not going to say that every provider is going to be comfortable with that or every um, health center has a policy that authorizes that. But in general, that's what most providers are doing at this point. Okay, if you want, if you want to space that out so you don't have, you know, the the mild right. immune reaction from one and then, you know, from both of them at the same time, that's fine. But then you might, you know, feel mildly ill for, you know, 24 hours after each as well. So, it's yeah, it, it's certainly safe. Um, it's really okay. what you'd be comfortable with. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks for the call. Mm-hmm. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Yeah, Drew, this is Troll Brandon. Hey, Troll, how are you? Uh, well, I'm sitting on the porch in Lake County, uh, enjoying my five acres of fruit trees and vineyard and getting old gracelessly. I would expect nothing less from you. Go on. Okay, um, I see here that uh, in Belgium, they, uh, they say that the uh, vaccine lasts for a year and that you don't essentially need a, a uh, booster. In France, they've cut it down to nine months. So I'm saying that there's kind of a, uh, a variable here. Yes. And I'm 75 now, and I've had the two shots. And uh, I've had um, a liver transplant, so I'm pretty much on the uh, far side of uh, people that need to be as careful as anyone so what's pretty much the maximum the minimum counted all variables 
when uh, I should go for the for the third booster. Yeah, you should get your third booster now. And in fact, there's considerable evidence um, that you might even need a fourth booster um, because you're on immune suppression to keep that transplant liver alive. Um, there's not a lot of providers who are doing that, but it's certainly worth a discussion with your provider because we know that people who are on um, solid organ transplant immune suppression therapy um, really have a hard time developing a good re- immune response from the vaccine. So you should get your third dose literally today um, or tomorrow, but this week if you can. Um, and then you might even have a conversation with your providers as to whether you want to have an antibody test after that to see if you've mounted a response um, or whether you should just even consider getting a fourth dose in a couple months. That's all kind of off-label use, but you know, doctors do off-label things all the time. And we've been kind of... Um randomly getting shots we got one at the fairgrounds we got one at a driving movie theater uh is it still like that or is there more of a regime now no it's still pretty random you know you can you can still go to the fairgrounds and get tested if you're motivated um up until a week or two you can you can get get the shot and a pig no, the shot generally requires going to a pharmacy. Um, there are not a lot of vaccine events anymore. Most health centers, however, um, have um, the the vaccine as well. So you could probably call your wherever you get your general health care and see if they have a vaccine and schedule to come in and get it done then. That was kind of a joke. My neighbor paid uh, $5,000 for a pig at the fairground, and he didn't get a shot. So... Uh, I, th- I was hoping that uh, the variable in the price is different for pigs. <laughs> Do I need to read a disclaimer? <laughs> Are we at the disclaimer just, part of the show? I'm just glad that this old hippie got the vaccine. I would have put you on the anti-vax side of the spectrum there, troll. But thanks for your call. Yeah, yeah, life's good. Uh, Give my best to the rest of the family. Indestructible. Thank you. All right. Thanks for the call, Troll. He used to sell us lumber. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Hi. I've heard about the new Moo variant, and I'm wondering what you may know. Well, there are there are more than a few variants out there, and this is MU, not MOO, like a cow. <laughs> I, just I know. Yeah, no, I, I know you know, but uh, for the <laughs> listeners, um, and you know, the, that's one of the ones that people, um, epidemiologists, public health officers, are tracking because there will be another variant coming behind the Delta, um, to be sure. Right. And whether it's that one um, or one of these others that are hidden, you know, that haven't even been picked up yet, we don't know. I don't think we're seeing a lot of it around here yet. The good news is the genetic surveillance that we did not have really until this spring is now fairly robust. Um, public okay. health has realized that, oh, we should be paying attention to this. Um, and they have really managed to replicate Britain's example um, pretty well. So that is something that's being tracked. You can be sure that both um, Pfizer and Moderna um, are also figuring out how to rejigger their vaccines if they need to tweak it. Um, Probably not for the mm-hmm. Delta, because the current um, design of these two vaccines is very effective against Delta. But Mu might be one that they have to rejigger it a little bit. And they can they can probably do that on the fly over the course of about two months, which is just about how long it takes wow. for a variant to um, you know take root. So they might have enough lead time to be able to adjust if we need to. 
But that, okay. you know, your, your question speaks to the unfortunate fact that this show, if we are motivated, could go on for years and years. This could be like the, day, <laughs> the, the, the weekly influenza update. That was my want. next yes. question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, although I love hearing both doing. of your voices, I sincerely hope that is not what occurs. <laughs> you and me both. Yeah. Thanks Thank you not on much. holidays. Good question. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Moo variant, huh? Yeah. Moo variant. So, is it terrible? I, you know, we just don't know enough yet. Um, there are some that are concerning that they seem to produce higher mortality or even more infectious than Delta. Um, but it's it's such. Is such in, there's so many variables and so many intangibles as these strains take root in various places that you really don't have a sense. And you know they're literally tracking you know probably a hundred different variants, uh, most of which won't have any significance at all. But you know like Delta, one or two will almost certainly emerge and have some significant evolutionary advantage that allows them to sweep around the globe again. It's like being in a sci-fi movie. I, I think of Groundhog Day, but go on. Uh, yeah, yeah, true. A yeah. bad fantasy sci-fi <laughs> pick. Um, okay, it's 895-2448, 707-895-2448. This is the local coronavirus update still here on KZYX. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax, and we've got about 30 minutes left, so let's take another call. Hey, caller, you are live on the air. Let me turn down my radio. We appreciate okay. that. Um, I am a person of a certain age, and um, I have had my two shots. The last one was in March. I gather I'm not supposed to get another one with Moderna until uh, November, but I want to visit my kids um, in San Francisco at the beginning of October, and I wondered if I should go ahead and get the third vaccine or if I should wait until November. I, you know, I, I think that's I don't think you need to make that the dispositive question. Uh, the real question that I would be asking in your situation is, are my kids vaccinated and how uh, much exposure do they have, um, you know, with their friends or activities or jobs or school or whatnot? Uh, you are still quite protected and you will still be quite protected from your two dose, um, you know, last dose being in March from this Delta variant. Additionally, a month from now, things are going to look, um, things already look quite good in San Francisco, and things are going to look even better uh, in San Francisco a month from now. I think I can safely predict that. Um, so I wouldn't stress about getting your booster before or after that trip or visit. If you if you want to get beforehand, you know, then the nine-month um, interval is really, like many of these intervals and recommendations, is more or less a guesstimate. So there's certainly no harm in getting it, you know, at eight months or even seven months or six months or five months months but you know nine eight to nine months is when we start to see a more significant drop off in immunity but it's it's really a marginal drop off and it's most significant when you talk about whole populations rather than individual risk my kids are good but they have a seven-year-old yes they're being very careful but there it is. Yeah, no, but seven-year-olds, I mean, they do carry and transmit Delta. Um, you know, if you wanted to be really careful, you could encourage your um, kids to buy one of these Binax tests and, you know, test everybody in the house a day or two before you get yeah, there. Um, and that way you can know that they don't have, you know, with a fairly high degree of certainty, they don't have asymptomatic COVID. And then just go down there and see your grandkids. Right. Thank you. I have one more question. Yeah. Short. Um, when I had my two vaccines, I had no reaction. Yeah. 
I mean, I had a slightly sore arm, but I had no reaction. I wasn't tired. I wasn't sick. I wasn't nothing. What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything, actually. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> so, Means you're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew that, yeah. but I didn't know whether it meant that they hadn't taken somehow. No, no. There's really not any correlation that we've seen between the severity of your immune reaction and the robusticity of your um, response to the immunization. Well, yay. Thank you very much. That's yep. reassuring. All right. Thanks for the call. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. Uh, I have a question. If you have two people and one's vaccinated and one's not, and they're both asymptomatic, do they shed the virus the same amount? That, that's a really good question. Um, and, you know, pre, pre-Delta, pre uh, my answer would have been no, um, that the asymptomatic um, COVID carrier who's not vaccinated was going to be shedding more. Um, what we know now is that, at least in terms of population risk, um, the vaccinated person still can shed um, virus that's going to get other people infected, which means that there's enough virus being shed by that vaccinated person to be contagious, right? And that's really what you want to worry about. Whether it's the same viral load or not is more of an academic question than um, a public health question. Um, well, no, I, think, I think it's a public health question because that would be a motivation more of a motivation for people to get uh, vaccinated. Yeah, I mean, maybe, right? I mean, if you're not motivated, if you're not motivated to um, get vaccinated to avoid getting COVID, I'm not sure you're going to be motivated by some, you know, 12% reduction in viral shedding if you're vaccinated. That's a, that's a, fairly fine point um but maybe i mean i could see posters on 101 saying you know viral shedding reduced by nine percent if you're vaccinated i i'm not sure who's going to pay for that though yeah but you know there's a lot of people that are a lot of different reasons and you know and i'm not saying it's going to be an all all in, uh, encompassing reason for everyone to go get that non-vaccinated people to get vaccinated but if you can reach a few people if that was information was out there who knows me it might make it di- well if, if it saved one life that'd be enough right it's just unfortunately the the delta has made that um that talking point a little more nebulous right it was much more clear with the previous strains of covid of uh, that vaccination uh reduced transmission significantly that's well, that's not only less clear; that's less true with Delta. Um, and so, 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 because uh, the Delta is more difficult to find out with uh, how much it sheds. No, it's not. It's more difficult to find out. It's just you don't need as much of a viral load. You don't need as much of an exposure time um, to contract Delta. And uh, so, if somebody's vaccinated, they're shedding a little bit of virus. Let's say if they're, if they're infected, if they're infected and have COVID. Um, yeah. But that little bit is actually enough now to uh, allow somebody else to pick up COVID from that person. Whereas that little bit with the pre-Delta strains was not enough viral load. You, le- you need um, hundreds of thousands of viral particles, uh, maybe, maybe at a minimum tens of thousands of viral particles to actually contract COVID. Now, it doesn't take a lot of you know, droplets or aerosols to deliver that much virus, but it is you know, 10 times lower uh, with Delta um, than the initial strain. So a low-level asymptomatic vaccinated person is still shedding some virus that is contagious, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. But then they, Yeah, but then it's still... 
Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. No, it's a good point. It's just you know, it's it's hard to quantify that in a way that you know I can foresee move, moving the needle a whole lot, particularly since it's become less clear over the course of the last two to three months. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Good. Good point. Good question. Thanks for calling. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. No, you're not. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Hi. Hey. Um. Thanks for the show. Those folks that you might be recommending get their booster, say those over 75, where do they go to get this booster that they don't expose themselves to COVID in the process? Ah, yes, the catch-22, right? Um, so, right. you know, it, it, I would first call um, whatever clinic uh, you go to for your health care, whether it's a doctor's office or one of the federally qualified health centers around the county, um, because almost all of them now stock uh, the vaccine in the their freezer um and so they can give you the shot um it might require you know 15 minutes in the clinic but that's a pretty low level exposure at this point and they can schedule during a less busy time um in the clinic that's your best option um the second option um would be going to a pharmacy um or scheduling an appointment at a pharmacy and again i would do that during sort of the slow period so right when they open um rather than the rush hour at 5 30 or 6 p.m um just to get in get your shot and, and get out okay thank you very much sure but it's Bye. still fairly safe if you're vaccinated and masked yes, to be course. out and about. I mean, you, right? are, you already have you know, a considerable amount of protection. We're talking you know, a marginal boost in one's protection. A lot of people who are vaccinated aren't getting sick with COVID even when they're exposed. Most people. Like a lot of people. Yes. <laughs> like yes. A vast majority of people. Yes. are. We're looking at the, the, the small minority of people who yes. do have the, breakthrough. The vaccinated but. people who have symptomatic breakthrough infections while not rare, are in the unlucky minority. Um, and the people who are symptomatically sick enough to be hospitalized or present for medical attention are you know, really in the minority. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, medicine is not necessarily fair. And that's what we hear about, yes. so we, it becomes large in our minds. Yes. But really, okay, let's take another call. Hey, caller, you are live on the air. Oh, hi. I wanted to mention an article I read, and then I have two questions. Um, in this week's Nation, the Nation magazine, there's an article on industrial agriculture called Big Farms, Big Flu. And while we've known there are a million problems with industrial agriculture, it seems that as long as we have it, we're going to have these pandemics and these illnesses and um the um the chinese mega farms that are pro producing all these chickens and pork for shipment to the states are so big that the remaining subsistence farmers in china are going to these wild animal populations to get their own food including bat caves and whatever so it seems like this is not going to ever end until we somehow get back to small-scale farming. And so it's an interesting article um, uh, in The Nation magazine, September 6th. So my two questions are, one, um, 
How did it happen that 15 million doses were wasted in this country, if that's true? And two, um, Americans so insulated from the rest of the world. I wonder how the anti-vaxxers explain New Zealand's only 27 deaths. And even if you multiply their population by 66, because they're one sixty-sixth of our population, that would make only um, 1,700 deaths if it were comparable. Do they... Is that information ever percolating down to people considering how come these countries have no problem getting COVID under control and we can't do it? Anyway, I'll take my answers on the air. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Interesting commentary and um, critique. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting or predictable i guess we should say that china's agricultural model is following the u.s model of the 70s and 80s i mean as we move toward mega agriculture in this country so china goes over the course of the last decade as well i mean i don't know if any of the listeners have been through arkansas recently but there are tyson plants down in arkansas that process a quarter million chickens a day um, if you can imagine so we are in the era of mega agriculture and we're also in the era of you know complete climate global disruption um it's really not just agriculture that's doing that but you know the myriad of things that we're doing to this planet and our ecosystems that are going to continue to disrupt uh, wild populations of animals and the viruses and bacteria that they harbor um that we're going to continue to encounter that's that's inevitable um i'm not I'm not under the illusion that getting back to the land and small agriculture is going to be the solution um, or even a practical small correction, frankly. But that is certainly something that needs to be addressed at the, you know, at the national and global level. As to the other two points, um, 15 million doses sounds about right um, in this country. I mean, I haven't seen any recent numbers, but I know we are wasting an enormous amount of vaccine. I mean, somebody comes into a clinic now or to a hospital and decides they want to get the COVID shot, they will crack open a vial of Moderna, which contains 15 doses. And if they don't have another 14 people lined up, that gets thrown in the trash. And that's that's the policy because we have extra vaccine in this country and we are a wasteful country. Um, and so, you know, why are they not bottling them as single doses? That was a policy decision they made a year ago. Um, but one would hope that they would have gotten nimble enough to at least start to do them in smaller dose files, but not yet. Um, as for the the data coming out of New Zealand or anywhere else that's done better with this pandemic, I you know I, I don't sh- I'm not sure that data um, is really going to persuade people who don't want to get vaccinated. It's a much more um, emotional decision tied up in a lot of social economic uh, factors. Yeah, one can talk about Switzerland or Sweden or, you know, New Zealand um, or some of these other countries that have done better or less well than we have, although really there haven't been that many countries that have handled this worse than the United States. Um, But I don't think that that's actually going to persuade a lot of people. 
but interesting in terms of how quite po- the policies yes. uh, affect people's health yes. on a broad scale. Still, you know, a year and a half into this pandemic, we still only have 4% of the world's population, and we're still looking at, you know, about 20% of the COVID deaths. I think it might have dropped a little bit now. It might be 18% of the worldwide COVID deaths with mm-hmm. 4% of the population and the most expensive healthcare system in the world. Yes. Yep. Well done. Obviously, something yep. is not going well. Well done. Yep. 895-2448. It's KZYX, local coronavirus update. The call-in number live is 895-2448. We're going to be here until 4 o'clock. We'll take our next call. Hey, caller, you are live on the air. Uh, hi. A uh, couple of comments. One, the uh, New Zealand example should not persuade any anti-vaxxers because it wasn't by the use of the vaccine that New Zealand had it under control. They did it with the public health policy. Yes, good they point. They just clamped down on it, and uh, they had it under control long before there were vaccines available. Um, the other thing is, this is a minor point, but when I studied Greek, we would recite the Greek alphabet, and it was mu nu, uh, or mu omicron nu, I think is the order it's in. Uh, in other words, we pronounce uh, the, the letter that's spelled M-U as if it was spelled M-E-W. So I don't know if that's just an American thing and the British or other people do it differently or what, but it always sounds odd to me when people say moo because it sounds like a cow. That's it. Bye. Well, you know, my former Harvard professor, Greg Nage, will be rolling over right now. Actually, he's still alive and well, but he'd be, he'd <laughs> be turning around at any point as, you know, having, <laughs> having taken his Heroes for Zeros course in the mid-80s. Um, but my knowledge of the Greek alphabet has faded. Um, but at any rate, I was just glad I knew it wasn't the cow noise. Yeah. yeah. Is it Tuesday or Tuesday? <laughs> anyway, but yes, a very good point about New Zealand uh, for certain. Um, you know, New Zealand has a very robust public health um, infrastructure, as does Great Britain, um, as does most of the Scandinavian countries. Um, and they were able to control and contact trace and not even contract or contact trace, but able to sort of isolate down to a single elevator button kind of precision as to how each case was being transmitted in their country. A level of scrutiny and organization that we can only imagine Mm -hmm. in this country. And that's really how they controlled it. They still have a very low vaccination rate, particularly compared to the U.S., but they still are doing things like wearing masks and continuing to do really robust surveillance and, you know, walling off any case that pops up anywhere in the country, you know, which we're well beyond, Mm -hmm. obviously. I wonder about the the polarization there as well, if they they see, uh, if they have a political party who's... whose whole purpose for being is to spread disinformation. Anyway, I'll take our next call. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Dr. Drew said that when you take off your mask, you should be very careful not to touch the outside. Um, I believe that's what he said. However, how does that differ from your clothes when you don't, you're not expected under current protocols, as I understand it, that you don't need to change your clothes as soon as you come home unless you've been in some very high um, COVID area. Yes. So why is the mask so different? Because you're not breathing through your clothes, right? You're not sucking a lot of air in through your clothes every every minute. Um, you know, we're breathing on average 15, 20 times a minute, and we're bringing in, you know, three to four liters of air each breath. Um, and 
that's all potentially carrying um, COVID. And the idea is that it's going to get trapped on the outside of your mask. Um, the, the virus won't, but the droplets that the virus is hitchhiking on in general should and will. Um, and so that's why there's just a much higher potential for viral contamination of your face mask on the on the outside um, facing part of your face mask than anywhere else on your clothes. You know, that being said, I get home from work and before I go in the house, I, I shed my clothes and stick them in the washing machine just because I am, you know, COVID central right now. Um, right. But in general, the rest of your clothes aren't going to have the same level of viral load unless, as you rightly point out, you've been in a covid area so that if you're going to the grocery store or you know whatever just not you know not necessarily particularly close to people but so you wouldn't expect to need to change your clothes correct correct i would not recommend that that's that's overkill um particularly in you know obviously you're listening to this radio and you're calling in with these concerns particularly if you're vaccinated um and your risks are quite low and manageable Mm-hmm. Okay, but the fact that you're breathing into your mask—that really means it's, it's acting as the filter, right? So the idea is it's going to be, you know, protecting you and sacrificing itself. But in so doing, it's it's coated with potentially coated with COVID if you've been, you know, exposed to somebody that has, you know, symptomatic or asymptomatic COVID. Okay, thank you. Yep. Thanks for the call, but we know leaving it on the floor of the car in the heat or somewhere in the car will kill it. Yeah, the COVID doesn't live very long. It's, you know, it's a fairly fragile virus, despite some of our early concerns that we're all going to get it from junk mail. Um, but it, it really doesn't live outside of the human body for very long at all. So throw it on your dash in these 100 degree heat, it'll be effectively sterilized in a few hours. You can hear them all screaming. Yes. Hello, co- hello, caller. You are live in the air. Uh, hi. Hi. Um, I have some questions noises. about the blood clots that have been associated with the vaccines. Mm-hmm. Um, are they, can they commonly present in the lungs? And um, if, if they're related to the vaccine, do they occur uh, in a short period of time after you've taken the vaccine or can it be delayed some number of months? Yeah, it's not, it's not going to be delayed some number of months. I don't think that there's any, going to be any causality between a delayed blood clotting event um, and the vaccine. If, you know, if you are in one of these rare, you know, one of these rare individuals that develops a blood clot um, within a week of the vaccine, then that might, in fact, be triggered by the vaccine. But at the top of the hour, you know, I talked about this 2 million or 1.8 million um, study out of Israel looking at things like blood clots um, and myocarditis, et cetera, et cetera. And while there may be a slight, very slight increase in uh, throm- thromboembolic events um, or blood clot events, um, that rate is quite small if it's real at all and is certainly much, much lower than the um, events that we see in people infected with COVID. We certainly know that um, getting COVID increases your risk of developing a blood clot. Now, the second part of your question as to whether they arise in the lung or not, in general, no. Um, the lungs just generally don't form blood clots on their own. They act as these great big filters. Um, and so the clots develop somewhere else in your body, um, break loose in one of the veins, get pumped through the heart, and wham, it hits the filter of the lungs and gets stuck there. Um, that happens. That happens, you know, out of out of blue, clear sky um, for totally healthy people occasionally. 
oftentimes people will have some swelling or pain in their leg that we pick up before it gets to the lungs but sometimes not it's you know it is a rare but known cause of sudden death unfortunately okay thanks you guys you're, you're just terrific thank you so much yep thank you sudden death yeah, we can we can go there. through the uh, the ER doctor's differential for sudden death. It's nerves of steel yeah. or something. Um, all right. Well, we've got five minutes left. Do you want to try one more call? Sure. Oh, actually, we have an email question. Oh, let's we... do that. Okay. All right. So I have we you had the station had an emailed question, uh, which to summarize um, relates the sad story of an 80 year old individual who lives across from a private preschool that has no school mask policy for staffs, parents or children um, interesting that parents would be paying to send their children to a school such as that uh, but she's concerned that their refusal to wear a mask threatens her health well it does but really only in the meta sense um, because people who are gathering in that type of setting threaten everybody's health if they're not vaccinated or not masking in congregate settings but on an individual basis the fact that there are a bunch of these little preschoolers running around sneezing and coughing across the street that virus is not going to come wafting off wafting across the street in some sort of toxic cloud and infect um, um, this individual. So I, I would not worry about it in that sense. I would worry about it just in a more meta sense, but perhaps that's for another conversation. So she doesn't have to worry about having to do the right thing by confront them or have some other kind of I, I think that ship has sailed for that preschool. If yeah. they have aggressively decided not to do anything, then, I mean, to be sure, it's it's kind of ludicrous to expect preschoolers to have masks, right? But obviously staff can and should be vaccinated and masked up. All right, but she's not at any special no. risk. Unless she's, you know, sit greeting the school bus as it pulls up, but I imagine she's staying across the street. Staying far I, away. Yes. All right, well, I think that's going to do it. we got about three minutes left in the show. Anything else you want to tell people this Labor Day Monday? No, I think, you know, we've we've said all that needs to be said this week. Um, you know, the, 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 the song remains the same, unfortunately. Um, be safe. Continue to be patient. It's not just a question of the Democrats versus Republicans any longer on this one. It's, it's a national policy, and there's still a lot of confusion, um, a lot of angst, even amongst the unvaccinated at this point. I had a woman last week burst into tears when I told her that her husband had COVID, and they were unvaccinated and she just said you know my head has just been spun around on all of this and it was really quite poignant to hear her express that frustration um with you know everything that she's heard over the course of the last year literally within two minutes i was able to address all of her questions and she was going to get vaccinated but you know it was too late for her husband which you know he was young enough so i suspect he will do okay um, but still, it's it's that kind of confusion that um, still is very um, present in in this community and nationwide. It's not just you know the the Trump waving uh, "Don't tread on me" crowd that might be in front of the courthouse. Although that's an in- interesting amalgam of of uh, populations. But at any rate, so she was upset because she's just heard so many she was different just, stories. She was just, yeah, she just didn't know what the right, right. thing was to I do. That's, and, that's really the point of all that disinformation is not even necessarily to convince you, but just to make you think that there's all these different points. You yes, know? and you know, and you, one can Google anything, right? You right. Can, you can confirm there's confirmation bias. 
galore these days. Yeah. Well, we're going to be talking about this more on um, my show on Friday morning, Byline Mendocino. I'm going to be talking with um, a social researcher who looks at the effects and the reasons for disinformation in, in our society. So um, that'll be really interesting, but especially because of this. I mean, Follow the money. Why? Yes. I mean, it's, it's medical information. Why are so many people in bad faith putting out lies about it? And we're going we're gonna to explore that. So, okay, that's going to do it for us. Thanks for coming in on Labor Day. Certainly. Not your day off because you're on your way to work now. Uh, This is the local coronavirus update. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax, and we'll be back next Monday. Yay! (laughs) For your calls. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening and for your calls. Really appreciate it. Be safe. Have a great rest of your Labor Day. You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXMZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.